Hey everyone, welcome to Unrefined Women. I am your co-host Agnes. And I'm the other co-host Margaret. This podcast is an ongoing dialogue between two sisters on the topics of spirituality, religious trauma, mental health, family dynamics, and feminism. We're very grateful you could join us today. Okay, shame and guilt. That is a topic we've been dying to talk about for freaking ever. Yeah, and actually our social media person, Gabby, put up a whole little reel on social media talking about shame and guilt. And she threw in Mm -hmm. there, if you want us to talk about that or talk about that topic, let us know. And we had some feedback that, yes, people want to hear us talk about shame and guilt. So here we are talking about these wonderful, wonderful experiences in life. (laughs) I promise it'll have a happy ending. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Yeah, we'll we'll try to pull it together here at the end, guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So do you have any definition uh, that you have for shame oh, yeah. and a definition for guilt? Do you have, oh, hold on. Do you have your own, Ooh. do you have your own definition or are you reading oh. off of someone else's definition? I'm reading off of someone else's because I feel like the concept of shame and guilt is like so broad in my mind that I was like, I need to have someone define this for me. So I'm able to like understand it fully um but i have a i have a definition of like both i guess you could say and then i have definitions for both like shame and guilt specifically okay so the overall definition that i have is from an article by psychology today it says shame is a deeply distressing uncomfortable emotion which typically arises when we feel we've made a mistake shame in contrast to guilt involves feelings of inadequacy negative negative self-evaluation and self-consciousness in response to our perceived error And then I have a definition for guilt. Guilt is an emotional state that appears when we when we feel we have failed to live up to the morals of ourselves or others. And shame. Sorry, I'm going a little fast. (laughs) Shame means that guilt provoked thought of how we have failed and distressing emotions like sadness, anger or anxiety. Okay, so I don't feel like it's. That was a lot. Well, I don't feel like it's too far off from what I have. Um, there's a few. There's a mm-hmm. few differences. Um, here, okay. can you read the first definition of shame again that you read? Just, just read that one again. Yeah, 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 yeah. So shame is a deeply distressing, uncomfortable emotion which typically arises when we feel we've made a mistake. Shame, in contrast to guilt, involves feelings of inadequacy, negative self-evaluation, and self-consciousness in response to our perceived error. Okay. So I feel like the, that definition is maybe a little different from what I have because your definition says, mm-hmm. like, when – kind of talks about, like, when you've made a mistake. Like, when you – like, perceiving you've made a mistake. Right. And I equate that more with guilt. Shame, I think, is more about me as a person. Like, I am a person – or I, as a person, am bad, like inherently bad, versus I am a person mm-hmm. and I made a mistake. So, but I feel like the mm. others were pretty, like, kind of on point. And I don't really, yeah. I don't know if I have, like, my own definition of shame and guilt just because I really attached to Brene Brown's definitions of it so early on. And so that's, like, it's kind of hard for me to, like, sort of break out of that and have my own Yeah, I feel like from what I'm seeing from my definitions, guilt is more so around like, it's more of like an ethical moral feel like a like a it's centered around that like when you do something, right, like when something happens, um, something in my life that I feel like 
uh, gives me or I've experienced guilt is like when you're involved in like drama or gossip, which everybody has. And it's like you've said something and you probably shouldn't have or like you're involved in a conversation where you're like some things were said or I know too much. And it's just like this like really bad like guilt moral feeling versus shame I feel like is more around like material things in the sense that like you feel shame that like maybe you didn't get the job that you wanted or you know you didn't get the grades that you wanted or um, your family is like looking down or someone that you love you feel like someone you love is looking down on like something that's more like material Mm, that's a good point yeah Now, do you have any of your own definition or or like your own personal one? Or was that it right there? What you just said? (laughs) That was kind of it. Honestly, that was, that was pretty much it. I think that it's, it's different for everybody, but it's also such like a, a broad topic. It's like a weird feeling. Like it's, I've actually, I feel like this is like one of our first episodes where we're like, besides our anxiety episode that we did a long time ago, like where we're talking about like human emotions, because it's such a difficult thing to pinpoint. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Yeah. So what about you? What are your definitions? So the definitions I have are Brené Brown's definitions. And so this (laughs) is straight from her latest book called Atlas of the Heart, which is a beautiful book. Agnes, did you buy it already? No, I I haven't. I will eventually. (laughs) It's it's just beautifully done. Anyway, um, so the definition in the book for shame is I am bad. The focus is on self, not behavior. The result is feeling flawed and unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. Shame is not a driver of positive change. The example of what shame is would be if you get it back a quiz and your grade is an F and your self-talk is, I'm so stupid. Versus guilt, Mm -hmm. the definition she gives of guilt is, I did something bad. The focus is on behavior. Guilt is the discomfort we feel when we evaluate what we've done or fail to do against our values. It can drive positive change and behavior. And the example here is you get back a quiz and your grade is F. Your self-talk is going to a party instead of studying for this quiz was so stupid versus I am so stupid. So the big difference between shame and guilt here is shame is I am bad Guilt is I did something bad. Shame is focused on Mm -hmm. me as a self is inherently flawed versus guilt is more grounded in, you know, me, me as a self is good, but I did something bad. It's more focused on the behavior. Mm. You know, I really like how before you said um, there's kind of this focus on like what on like feeling inherently bad. And I feel like that's a big topic that's discussed with like spirituality and especially in Buddhism. And I feel like just in general, like I think that's such an interesting topic. Maybe we'll even have to like make a whole other episode about that. Cause I think it's so fascinating. Like, um, talking about like us as humans, like, especially in Catholicism where they're like, not to like bring the topic into religion, but where it's like, Uh, with original sin like are we as humans born as these like evil creatures and it's up to society and the society that we've created to lift us up and like bring out the like somewhat positive sides of us or are we born inherently good and is the society that we live in 
creating us into immoral beings. Mm, well, see, okay, so I actually kind of want to have this discussion today. Like, I do, I do okay. want to get into some of this. I'm down. No, I do <laughs> want to get into some of this because I feel like yeah. when I think about shame and guilt, I automatically start to think about religion and think about our upbringing yeah. and like the environment we were mm-hmm. raised in and the messages, both uh, overtly and covertly, that we received around, like mm-hmm. our like, are we inherently good? Are we inherently bad? All of those things. Um, so I think, I think it is an important conversation to have because we have lived experience with that. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so when thinking about that, are there any messages that you remember from childhood that made you feel shame versus guilt? So shame meaning like I am bad, like me on a soul level, there's something wrong with me. Did you ever, like, anything that happened that made you feel that way versus, like, me on a soul level, I'm good, but sometimes I do bad things because we're human and that happens. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> as we laugh, this is so terrible. <laughs> Ooh, we're, like, really di- digging into deep territory here. I feel like I felt that mostly around purity culture mm. as a woman because, Especially like when you're going through like your your preteens and you're becoming a teenager and like you're discovering your sexuality and like your body is changing and there's just so much like hate and um, judgment towards women and I feel like about their sexuality whether we initiate it or not and I feel like that had a gate like I had a lot of thought processes that were revolved around shame especially when I was younger and kind of like discovering these things about myself it's like I would feel so like guilty but on like a shame level like I am inherently bad like I just felt like I was like damaged goods or like if people like if people are saying this about me like doesn't mean that I am like inherently bad and especially as a woman and are all women inherently bad because of these judgments placed on us when it comes to purity culture Mm, do you have any like specific examples or a story you'd want to share around a time that you that this came (laughs) up um there are a few but the one I'm willing to share okay (laughs) is probably around high school because in high school I went to Um, a very religious uh, school and it was like boys and girls were split up and I was like the naughty girl (laughs) I sound weird saying that but like I wasn't raised the same way as everyone else everyone else was like very not all of them but um, uh, many of them were very sheltered well and I was coming into the situation well I feel like it's it's so interesting because I feel like I do have to highlight you're you're on the younger generation of our family and so I feel like the older generation of our family like me Andrew John we were really sheltered Um, but by the time, you know, mom and dad got down to your end of the family of the siblings, they had kind of just burnt out and were just sort of checked out. So you, I feel like you had, like you had a little more connection to the outside world just because mom and dad were so like depleted by the time, you know, you were the seventh child. So they were kind of worn out, but I know what you mean. Like you went to this high school where other parents were as controlling with their children as they were, as our parents were with like the first few kids in our family. Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely did experience it pretty rough when I was younger, like very young. Um, because like growing up, 
our parents only like we were like the dress fan like all the girls would wear dresses and like we had to dress modestly and that did change for me like I think around like when I was 12 or 13 my mom just kind of stopped caring so we started to be able to like wear kind of like what we wanted but when I was younger like like especially elementary school like we would have dress down day and because we went to a private school and so like it was easy because you just wear your uniform every day and then it would be dress down day and then it's like they had these like dress codes where you like they would basically tell all the kids like for dress on day just wear jeans tennis shoes and a t-shirt or whatever right well <laughs> I didn't even own a pair of jeans <laughs> and like we only wore dresses and or skirts and so I remember like having to show up to school wearing like a dress and literally being dress coded by the teachers and they would be like you're not wearing what you're supposed to be wearing and it was just a very very humiliating altogether and I but I feel like I'm not really sure if I would say I guess I would say more shame though because I think that like I didn't feel like a like a bad person but it was like I felt um like discluded or like like just separated from everybody and I felt like those like shame feelings for that like why can't I be like all these other people like is there something wrong with Mm. me so (laughs) so I did experience that a lot in my younger years um it got better but then when I went to the high school then I was a a little bit more out there than the other students and I felt like there was a lot of judgment on that and a lot of people would I just felt like I was just like a very like an outcast kind of just like I never fit in with anybody. Like I wasn't really invited to things like my quote unquote friends, like none of their parents didn't like me. Like it was just very much like I felt so different from everybody and kind of alienated. And with that, I would have thought processes like, just a lot of shame because at the same time, like I would convince myself, like I need to change to conform. So I stopped feeling the shame. But then when I tried to change, then nothing would get better because people already have this preconceived idea of me. And then it would make me spiral even more because then it's like, no matter how much, um, like effort I put into trying to become more like these people, I never will. And maybe that's because I'm inherently bad Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that's like probably the most like impactful experiences that I've had with shame in my childhood yeah I feel like we all kind of had some degree of that like that those shame feelings that arose from uh social situations because we were so different from a lot of people and I remember feeling that Mm -hmm. way too like I really really struggled in peer groups and with other kids I always felt so strange Um, I always felt like what I was wearing was always a topic of discussion around kids my age. I was really singled out for that a lot. Um, And so it felt like I didn't really have a lot of friends, I guess. You know, and the friends I did have were mostly Mm -hmm. from like our homeschool group or from church. But I didn't really have a lot of friends in the outside world outside of our religion. um, Because I just literally had absolutely nothing in common. (laughs) So. Right. And. Yeah. Yeah. That was another hard thing. Like having nothing in common with these people. It's like I was homeschooled. I don't have a phone. I don't have social media. Yeah. (laughs) 
I remember being in high school, like later high school, when I felt like when I had more friends outside of religion because I was in orchestra. So I would hang out with like, you know, the band geeks or the orchestra geeks that went to the public schools in Mm -hmm. the area. And I would hang out with those types of kids because we had music in common. So that was something. And but I remember being in social situations with with these types of kids. And unless we were talking about like classical music, I didn't understand like 90% of the conversations that would take place because a lot of the conversations when you're in high school are around like bands you listen to around movies you're watching stuff happening in pop culture like and I had zero awareness around any of that so there was a lot of like mm-hmm. you know there people had like teenagers and, and people in general like right like we make a lot of references to pop culture we make a lot of references and jokes around shows we watch movies like And so that was just sort of like the language people would speak. But I had I couldn't understand that language. So it felt so uncomfortable to be in these groups and everyone's on the same page and laughing and talking and joking. And I'm like, I have no fucking clue. Like you could be speaking alien to me right now. I have no idea what we're talking about. So, yeah, yeah, I had. Oh, my God. This is so cringe. I was actually like a young adult when this conversation happened. But I had somebody ask me. Um, I was like out to dinner with like a group of people and I had like a guy ask me, um, he was talking about puns. I had no idea what a pun was. So (laughs) I didn't, I had never heard the word pun ever in my life. And I thought he was Mm -hmm. saying punt, like punt, like kick, like football, like kick. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And he turned to me, he goes, there's two types of people in this world. And um, I have to ask you this question so I know which person you are. But do you think it's funny to pun a small dog? Like, he, And now I understand that he was saying, do you think it's funny to like make jokes about a small dog? But I thought he said, do you think it's funny to punt a small dog? Like kick a small dog? So of, cor- I, so of course I said, no, I don't think that's funny. And the whole table got like really quiet. And the person was like, okay. And like didn't know how to respond to that. And I just felt like, and then like no one talked to me for the rest of the dinner. And I felt so awkward. Oh my God. I was like, I was like 21 when this happened. So I was already like a young adult. <gasps> That's my age. Yeah. Oh my and God. And I felt so uncomfortable. And like, okay. and again, I was so confused. <laughs> like I was so, and like they all were talking about puns yeah. and like sharing puns. And I had no idea what a pun was. And I was so confused. And now in hindsight, I look back and I realized that like, basically they were asking like, are you a person that like knows how to take a joke or not take a joke? And because I didn't understand the question. <laughs> Okay, I'm going on defensive mode, Margaret, because first of all, the word pun is like, I don't know what you call it, but it's like one of those like newer words, like, you know, like those aren't going to be in like dictionaries from like 30, 40 years ago, right? At least I think so. It's like, it's like, I don't know, right? Like the word meme, like no one uses the, no one used the word meme like 40 years ago. So that's in your defense. They're not even speaking real English. (laughs) And the second defense is I feel like the joke that he tried to make is a horrible one. There's a million other ways to ask someone if, like, I don't know. I'm just going to make fun of him because I feel like that was kind of (laughs) (laughs) 
like i don't like i don't know like sure make a joke about a dog i don't but know i understand that like i literally thought he meant like yeah. do you think it's funny when someone kicks a small dog versus do you think it's funny when someone makes a joke about a small dog like i don't give a shit if you make a joke about a small dog i have a small dog and i joke about him all the time well, so but <laughs> you know what margaret you did you did the moral and the ethical thing by defending animals <laughs> <laughs> wow look at that thanks for spending that we don't support animal abuse here <laughs> you were in the right oh my god <laughs> so I, that's funny i don't know how we got on this whole tangent but yeah just talking yeah. about like yeah the, the feelings that come up and yeah in peer groups are yeah and how that can mm-hmm. be like a big driver of shame yeah yeah um i do want to also uh, while we're talking about religion so talk about some of the ways that religion can either overtly or or covertly weaponize shame against people and keep them trapped in a shame cycle so you become reliant on the hierarchy of the church to save you um i remember to me the most like apparent example i can give would be talking about like our souls right like we're taught we're taught that we're born um, and like, I don't know if it, I don't know if this was like a mom and dad example that they gave us or if this was from somewhere else. But I remember we were taught that like when you're born, your soul is black, like it's dirty um, because we're born with original mm-hmm. sin. And then you have to be baptized to turn your soul white and then you're good. And then basically until the age of seven, your soul, your soul stays pure white and, and clean because you're not capable of like sinning. But then of course, when you're seven, you're capable of sinning, which still is ridiculous to me because you know your prefrontal cortex is not even close to being developed you're a child you can't in my mind you can't be sinning at that age but in the catholic church you can be sinning at the age of seven sinning to the point that you can go burn in hell forever um so then when you commit sins it dirties your soul and turns it black and for me this is like so problematic because when you're talking about souls you're talking about like someone's very very essence like on a soul, not even a cellular level, but a soul level, like even deeper than a cellular level. You're talking about the essence of a person. And when you're telling that person that their soul is black, to me, that is you are bad. Like something is really wrong with you as a person. Not like on a soulful level, you're a beautiful, perfect, you know, perfect person, perfect soul. But because we're in these human bodies, we sometimes do bad things. It, that's not what the conversation was. It's that you are bad on a soulful level until you ask for God's forgiveness and you apologize. Mm. Yeah, that actually reminds me when I was in elementary school, I remember there was a priest that would come in every once in a while and teach like a like a little spontaneous religion class as little third graders. And one of the examples that he always did, like he would always bring this up and he would draw like a little ghost looking figure on the chalkboard and on the ghost or inside the ghost, he would put little like rips, like little like squealy marks. And he was like, all right, so this one right here and he would make it like big and he would say, this is like original sin, right? And you have this until you're baptized. And then when you get baptized, you erase it. So then he'll erase it. But then as life goes on and you start to accumulate these, these sins, then you know you have all these rips and these little tears in your soul and he'd start fucking drawing these like little tears in your soul and I remember specifically one time he just drew so many of them and he was like this is what it looks like when you don't ask for forgiveness after 
um, you know, like when you don't go to confession or, you know, someone that just neglects their, their religion and just, I don't, I don't know. Like I remember like being young and be like, wow, that's a genius analogy. Like how smart to like visualize it like that. But now I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) I feel like that really like almost puts like it materializes sin and shame and guilt and is basically like telling us third graders that as you sin like you just become dirtier and more like displeasing and like like in a physical way almost Mm -hmm. and I can see like I feel like there's like the way that he spoke about it was just very much like talking about people specifically that don't go to church or don't aren't aren't involved in religion I don't know that's just like off the top of my head like just situations like that like where we're teaching little kids some fucked up shit (laughs) yeah I think just the conversation like how these conversations are are being had is so problematic because like when you look back at the Brene Brown example of shame and guilt right so shame is not an effective tool for positive change and behavior it doesn't drive that it shuts people down people like shut down and feel because when you feel like well I am bad how do you come back from that Like if you are just inherently bad, people just shut down and give up. It's not, it doesn't drive positive change versus guilt comes from the place of you, like I am good and sometimes I do bad things. And so then it gives me motivation to strive to be better because I know at a soulful cellular level, I am good. And so I feel like when we have conversations and and how it's for, and you you really have to be careful when having these conversations with children specifically, because children don't like, they don't understand things the same way adults do children can't always grasp nuances and gray areas as as well as you know a fully developed adult Mm. so things have you really have to be careful with the language um I remember like when Brayden was a child you know I had some people that I really looked up to um explain to me that when talking to your child it's really important to not ever use words like bad you know bad boy or bad girl or you know or bad whatever their name is like you don't say things like that you name you you critique the behavior that was bad behavior you never you never say Mm -hmm. bad child um because Mm -hmm. everything has to come from a place of you are inherently good you are unconditionally loved always even when you have bad behavior you know, because there's good in you, there's good inside of you that goes deeper than the behavior. And so it's helping them shape the behavior, but from a place of respecting and loving them unconditionally and seeing the good in them and helping them recognize the good in themselves. Mm. And I feel like that's not how the conversations are happening in religion, at least not the conversations that we had. It was so like shame based and so focused on you are bad. And so you have to now hustle for your worth. You have to hustle and try really, really freaking hard to have a right to be in this space, to have a right to be a part of this church, mm-hmm. to have a right to be a part of this religion, to have a right to be loved by God and to be able to one day go to heaven and not burn in hell. And having a place in family. I feel like when I was younger, I really struggled with this because our family now, now that we're all adults, except for one, there's like one minor in our family, but we're all adults now. <laughs> we're able to like hold a pretty, like I would say for family, we all have pretty healthy relationships. Like we're not a perfect family by any means, but for the most part, like we're all very, very respectful of each other's lives. Um, we've gone through our bumps and everything, but for the most part, all of us are 
pretty yeah. close. And I honestly, that really was not my experience when I was younger. I always felt very connected and close to my family because we were homeschooled. So we spent a lot of time together, but I remember having tr- like thoughts in my head or toxic thoughts in my head as I was younger, feeling like I needed to like almost fit in with my family and almost like feeling a little bit of shame that like, like if I did something that was embarrassing to my family or one of my family members would say something to me that, um, like, you know, go away, you're annoying me or, um, whatever, something like that, or you're, you're just embarrassing or you're just annoying. I would feel a lot of shame around that. And almost like this feeling of like not fitting in with the family. And I think that triggered a lot of uh, shameful thoughts as like in my youth and a connection that I actually just made during this conversation. And I'm not really sure how to like back this up. I just feel like a trigger or like a trigger that I've had when I was younger was witnessing domestic violence in our childhood and I felt like seeing domestic violence like within my family it almost like made me feel like the the idea of belonging somewhere or being a part of something good or like your life being good is something that you have to earn and it's not not something that's inherent because seeing someone get punished for doing something wrong would make me feel like everything that I do comes with consequences Mm -hmm. and I need to like try as hard as I can to like deserve to feel or deserve to not feel shame about my life I don't know I just felt like that's I've never really made that connection until now and that obviously that's like one of the reasons why you should never expose your children to domestic violence like I mean one a million but I don't know I just think it's interesting that it can cause that train of thought in a child. Yeah. Well, another thing too, and I think that this happened, this, I think this really, it'll be interesting to see the differences in generations. Um, Cause I think that I hope that children are being raised a little differently now. <laughs> we have a lot of science and information on oh, development yeah. of children now than we did, like even when we were kids. And so I hope that that children are being raised in a much more kind and, and beautiful way. But um, something that like, was really common I feel like in like my generation the millennials and then kind of everyone before it was this whole thing of like really focusing on negative behavior right like focusing on children's bad behavior and then when children are being quote-unquote good or they're being quiet or they're cooperating or whatever whatever we perceive as good behavior we just kind of don't acknowledge it at all and I feel like that was a big thing Mm -hmm. in my childhood where basically like I only got attention when I was being bad. And then if I was being good, I was just completely like neglected. And there was a yeah. few times in my life when I really would try really hard to have good behavior that I would have, mm-hmm. that there would be some kind of positive feedback. Right. And it was usually not for mom and dad. It was usually from like somebody else. Um, like music, I think, uh, I think I really had a toxic relationship with music for a long time because it was something I had to, I had to try really hard to be a good violinist because I, when I was a really good violinist and I worked really hard at it, then somebody would tell me that I was a good violinist or tell me that I played really beautifully. And that was like the only compliment I would ever get about anything in my life. And so I clung on to that because it was the only source of like actually getting, having someone say something nice to me. There was nothing else Mm -hmm. about me that anyone ever said anything nice about. 
And so I think it taught me this terrible lesson that I had to hustle, like constantly hustle and grind to be good, to even be acknowledged for being good. Um, and I think it's why mm-hmm. I struggle with like being a workaholic, you know, and I, and I look around me and I see, you see the symptoms, right? You see symptoms in people and you see an entire culture that's addicted to working and addicted to hustling and grinding because, and I realize it's because all of us were taught in our homes, in our families, in our communities, we all were taught either someone said it to us or just the messages we saw, like kind of, that was the conclusion we formed was basically that. We're not inherently good and we have to hustle for our self-worth and we have to try really, 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 really hard to have these exceptionally above and beyond good behaviors to even be acknowledged and even be worthy of love, belonging and connection. So it's just this like kind of heartbreaking realization when you look at this symptom and realize that the root of it is just that we all are like, we're all stuck in shame and we weren't acknowledged for being inherently good and being lovable as children. Absolutely. And I think that really shows the power of positive affirmations and being able to speak to your children or the people around you and be able to lift them up and make them feel loved and supported, even when they're going through, um, quote unquote, bad behavior. Like when, like a lot, like I have done, I'm not obviously not a parent, but with all of the like nannying and babysitting and being around family, like small children, nieces and nephews, like you can see the way that like I have, you know, when I see a child act out and being able to correct it in a more positive way. And like, like how you mentioned before, being able to correct their behavior rather than, you know, tell them that they're what, you know, they are inherently bad. I think it really does show a difference. And that's what I'm really excited for with this new generation and what I've seen, especially on social media with a lot of parents that I know is that people are changing this. And a lot of people in our age group are having these conversations and listening to people like Brene Brown, who talk about shame and especially around parenting, um, and being able to have, uh, conversations with their children that ultimately lift them up, but also discipline them because, you know, disciplining your child is, a necessity, you know, you can't just let your child do whatever you have to discipline them. But the way that you do it, I think that there are so many new, um, alternative versions or or different ways to do it that are very healthy. And I'm really excited to see how these children blossom. (laughs) I have a lot of hope in the new generation. Yeah. So this actually leads me to a book that I have not started reading yet, but it's on my list that I'm going to be reading in the next probably month or two. But my therapist has brought it up multiple times in sessions and he, I guess, recommends it to people who are parents and then people who aren't because it's kind of about Mm reparenting your inner child. But then also if you're a parent, parenting your child as well. Um, But the book is called Good Inside, A Practical Guide to Becoming the Parent You Want to Be. And it's by Becky Kennedy. But it talks, my understanding of it from what he's told me is the book really talks about parenting from that approach of unconditional love of you know of seeing the child as inherently good and recognizing when a child's behavior 
so when a child's behavior is not good, right, or a child's acting out, that usually that's not because the child's bad. There's some need that the child, there's some need that, that's not being met in the child. And there are steps, there are like preventative mm-hmm. steps we can take to prevent that behavior. And also when mm-hmm. children are acting out, usually what it is, is the sign of that they're not receiving the amount of love and attention that they require. And so children will we're so desperate for attention. We're so desperate for connection because literally our survival depends on it as children that if we're not getting that love and attention from being good, we resort to having bad behaviors because then we get the, we get that kind of attention and negative attention is better than no attention. And actually in some ways this is maybe kind of a controversial take, but my therapist said that there's a lot of like evidence starting to come out now that shows that neglect in childhood is just as bad if not in some cases worse for a child than outright abuse because as awful as abuse is the child is still having some kind of connection with another person and when neglect happens we are so hardwired for connection that when neglect happens it is severely detrimental to us to the point where it's just as harmful as abuse in some cases even more harmful than abuse Yeah. And it's conditioning that can affect you for the rest of your life. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and harp on my own situation, but just from experience and like experiencing neglect in my childhood, even now, and especially seeing a therapist and like reflecting on it, it does, it does do something out there. And I can't, I mean, I'm very lucky, like obviously to have the family I have, like, you know, I know that there are other people who have experienced it in other situations. Um, but yeah, I've, I definitely agree with that. And I think that it's important for people to kind of acknowledge that and see and seek help for that and be able to find ways to grow from that and not pass it on to our other, you know, to our children. Yeah. Well, do you have any other things you want to talk about with shame and guilt? Any thoughts here? Um, I actually have a quote from Brene Brown that I want to sure. share. It's very short. Um, she said, the less you talk about it, the more you have it when talking about shame. And I, I really like that quote because shame was not something that I even thought about until I watched her Ted talk on Netflix. I think you had told me to probably a couple years Mm ago. Um, and before then I never even gave it a thought and, I mean, shame and guilt is something that most people deal with and coming from someone who suffers from really bad, uh, anxiety, I feel like a lot of anxiety and depression is centered around shame and guilt and some things in my life that I feel like have been very, very difficult for me to process when it comes to like feeling shame, anxiety, uh, guilt is around like very basic things that most humans deal with, like getting bad grades or feeling burnout, or maybe your, you know, your career isn't accelerating as fast as you had hoped, um, around relationships, friendships, um, being able to commit to things. Like there's so many different things that every single human being being deals with. And not a lot of people are actually having conversations about this. And, you know, 
being at a point at, that I'm in in my life right now, I'm trying like now I'm one of those people where I want to like reach out and have conversations with coworkers and friends um, and kind of talk about like just human experiences like, oh, I had a really rough day yesterday and it's like, oh, tell me about it. And then I'm able to hear them talk about it. The more I kind of realize that like we're all kind of going through very similar things and you can look at people that are that are very successful or you can look up to someone and realize that you know, what you just had anxiety about yesterday, they were probably having anxiety about something very similar too, or at one point in their life, they struggled with that. And so that's why I think it's really important to have these conversations and not push it under the rug because at the end of the day, it's not helping anybody. Um, and people just need to be more open as long as they feel comfortable too, as well. And I think with feeling comfortable talking about these things, we need to just let go of the judgment for people because judgment is exactly why people don't want to talk about things for the most part. Yeah. Well, and I think too, um, you know, emotions are like this universal language between all humans. And, you know, you were talking about anxiety, like what someone had an anxiety or what I had anxiety about today, someone else might've had anxiety about the other day, but here's the common thread is the emotion anxiety. And so I might experience anxiety because of one situation in my life and another person might experience another person that's very different from me and a totally different space in life might experience anxiety about something completely different. And that's okay. Like it might be totally different people, Mm -hmm. totally different circumstances but the emotion is the same and so I think that's so important you know shame guilt anxiety you know grief joy like love all of these things that we experience they're universal and we all experience them as humans and so when Mm -hmm. we don't talk about it that's what drives this disconnection between all of us and when we don't acknowledge that we all experience them regardless of our circumstances in life you know Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely Um, I do have one kind of little conclusion that I kind of pulled together. This just kind of came to me out of nowhere when I was kind of thinking about this episode and and talking about shame and guilt, but I don't know. I kind of, I've kind of wrote down on my notes. I wrote controversial conclusion because I don't know if this is controversial. I just, I just made this (laughs) up, but here's my theory now as since talking about shame and guilt, I believe that we can't experience guilt if we've never been taught that we're inherently good because we only live in sh- we only live in shame which is not constructive and doesn't push us towards imagining new ways of being you know if we go back again to the Brené Brown quote about guilt right guilt is the base of it is i'm in, i'm good and i did something that doesn't align with my values i did i committed a behavior that doesn't align with my values and so i don't think that guilt is even possible of experiencing if you don't already have that that foundation. So when I think back to my childhood, I think a lot, I don't think that I actually experienced guilt in childhood. I think I experienced shame because I felt like there was something wrong with me and I was broken. And I think that when someone does feel guilt, that can actually be a really positive thing because to feel guilt, you have to feel like there's something good inside of you and you did something that went against your values. Does that, Mm -hmm. I don't know if does that make sense at all? No, that definitely, that absolutely makes sense. And I think that, um, I think that kind of brings light to the fact that for the most part, a lot of people like you and me and, uh, you know, tons of people that we look up to and are friends with are doing, are putting in the work to bring awareness to mental health and the crisis that we're all in. (laughs) But I think part of that is acknowledging that feeling negative feelings like guilt, shame, 
I mean, I don't like shame. I don't like that Nobody people does. have to experience <laughs> that. But like what you said about guilt and anxiety and depression, like obviously all these things are, are negative experiences, but I don't think that it's something that nobody should ever have to experience. It is a normal human thing and we want to be able to take care of ourselves so that we can prevent going down these spirals. But there still is a lot of growth that happens when you feel these negative experiences it's kind of like that whole quote of like um I don't know what the quote is but it's like put yourself in uncomfortable situations and you're going to grow from it and I think that's kind of part of it however there is a balance of being allowing yourself to feel the uncomfortable emotions but also um taking initiative and being able to correct those negative emotions so that you're able to lead a joyful and happy life because at the end of the day that's what we all deserve yeah <laughs> in my opinion well I think what's important too when we talk about like putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations like we want to put ourselves and actually Dr. Bruce Perry talks about this a lot especially with children how what helps children become resilient and, and or just humans in general but he specifically talks about children what helps build resilience is when you're in situations that are just a little bit outside of your comfort zone so you have to kind of stretch and grow yourself a little bit but you're not completely overwhelming your nervous system because then you shut mm-hmm. down and then that, that co- then oh, that yeah. causes trauma So you want to give yourself a challenge, but not overwhelm yourself. So it would be like the Mm -hmm. example of, let's say, I'm just going to go to like a work example. Let's say um, legal field. You and I both know the legal field really well. So going Mm -hmm. from the position of like a legal secretary to a paralegal, right? Like you move up kind of a position in the firm. That's going to... That's Mm going to most likely bring about if you were really comfortable as a secretary and then you're moving up to a paralegal, you're going to have some growth there. There's going to be some new things you're going to have to learn. There's going to be some challenges. You're going to have to really kind of stretch yourself for a bit. But ultimately, you're going to it's going to build resilience and it's going to be healthy for you. Now, let's say you went straight from secretary to now you're going to become an attorney and you don't even have a law degree. Okay, right. (laughs) Like, hey, I mean, some people be doing that (laughs) just to put it out there. But that's like taking someone and just throwing them into the ocean and expecting them to just build resilience and grow and it's like no you're gonna die yeah yeah actually yeah so you have to there has to be appropriate um appropriate circumstances and so that's why I also think that guilt as Brene Brown says guilt can be a positive or can be a tool for positive change right it's grounded from this place of I am good Um, And sometimes we do things that don't align with that and it causes this like uncomfortable feeling within us within us. But then we it it causes us to reevaluate our behaviors and then like grow and change and do something different. Shame, I think of that as like what happens when you throw someone into a situation that's completely beyond their ability to be able to be successful in that situation. Like it just shuts them down. It's it's that feeling of I am going to die. I am I am bad. Like nothing good is going to come from that situation. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Very well said, Margaret. Thank you. I feel so educated right now. (laughs) Hey, this was a two-woman job here today so oh yeah changing the world (laughs) which leads us to our gratitude prompt the best part of the episode margaret what are you grateful for today this is gonna sound disgusting but i am (laughs) great 
<laughs> I am grateful. Let's hear I'm it. I'm grateful that I get to wash my hair today. <laughs> Tell him why. <laughs> Don't leave that hanging. <laughs> so I've had I've had braids in my hair for the last two months. And I mean, you can wash your hair with braids in it, but this is my first time having braids put in. So I was scared. I didn't want to like screw mm-hmm. it up. So I have not washed yeah. my hair for two months now. Now I'm now. Okay. So it is healthy to not wash your hair. Um, so I'm not disgusting. Yes. Like I do want to say that I do want to throw that out there. I'm not a gross person. Um, I do clean my scalp. Like I do like take a washcloth and we'll have like cleaned my scalp and stuff like once a week, I'll do that. But I haven't like actually gotten yeah. in a shower and sat underneath a shower and like scrubbed my hair with shampoo and conditioner in two months. Yeah. And so today my braids are coming out. I'm actually like right when we get off of this call, I'm going to start taking my braids out. I anticipate it's probably gonna take a couple hours cause there's a lot of them in my head. Um, but I'm going to take all the braids out and do like a whole like dandruff, like just deep clean um, wash with my hair and like do a, a hair mask and all that fun stuff. And then tomorrow morning I am have yeah. a salon appointment to have my hair braided again. So anyway, I'm excited to have new braids in, but I'm today I'm very grateful that I get to wash my hair. It's going to be nice to just give, get in there and give my scalp some love. Yeah. You know, I think the girls will get it. Yeah. The guys, maybe not so much, but the girls <laughs> That's get okay. it. That's okay. <laughs> it's impressive, truly. <laughs> All right, Agnes, what are you grateful for today? Ooh, I don't know. I think I always say the weather. I need to stop saying the weather. It's kind of been warming up a little bit. Um, today I went and got an iced coffee here in Gilbert, the town I live in. They have this cute little... Um, Okay, it sounds weird. It's a convenience store, guys, but it's like a bougie convenience store. It's not a gas station, but they have like pizza. They have like a sushi bar. They have a cafe. They have ice cream and everything is like triple the price. Like you can go there and get like a bottle of hot sauce for like $12 because they can charge you for that. But they have um, this little cafe in there and they get their coffee grounds from some locally sourced business and for whatever reason it's super cheap like I get a large iced latte with oat milk they don't charge extra for plant-based milk which is amazing um and it was like five dollars for one latte and it's like crack like this is good fucking coffee like this is not no starbucks no uh dunkin like this is good quality coffee and so I went and got an oat milk lavender iced latte and I drink it. And that's why I have so much energy right now. <laughs> so that's what I'm grateful for today is my iced coffee. That's a good thing to be grateful for. Always. <laughs> we believe in the power of taking even one minute a day to breathe and find gratitude in the little things. Wherever you are, if you are able, close your eyes, take a deep breath in and out and reflect on something that you are grateful for today. We are so honored that you could join us in this discussion today, and we hope you have a beautiful week.
If you enjoyed today's Unrefined Woman podcast episode, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. To check out other episodes, please visit our website at unrefinedwoman.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. To stay in the loop and receive access to additional content, please follow us on TikTok, username Unrefined Woman, and on Instagram at Unrefined Woman Podcasts. Special thanks to Walter Birdsong for the album cover, Margaret Rainey for our podcast music, Andrew Cioni for our gratitude prompt music, and Sean Butcher for editing and production. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Okay, guess we should, I think our stuff's working properly now. We can jump into our episode. Let's do it. Try to make my voice sound not as stressy and depressy and more happy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I wonder if our, in in our episodes, if we just sound like lethargic, tired (laughs) all the time. Yeah, we're like, ugh. No, I'm Life is so hard, guys. <laughs> I mean, it is hard. <laughs> oh, my God. We love to just, like, humorize our depressing experiences in life. <laughs> we love it. That can be our... <laughs> it's how we function. That can be our blooper at the end. No, note yeah. to Sean. <laughs>